Welcome back to the Boilers Extra Podcast. We're back in the Journal and Courier Studios for the first time in a while. This is it's good to be home. Who are you again? <laughs> it's good to look across this table and see your <laughs> smiling face. Okay, that's, <laughs> if you say so. I don't. I don't know if that's true or not. I am Nathan Baird. If you haven't listened before, he's Mike Carmen. Uh, we cover Purdue sports here at the Journal and Courier, and we're here to kind of um, take a look back in Purdue's very recent history look back at the 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 2018 19 calendar and and what these teams are able to accomplish and kind of where the athletic department is uh in general heading into um heading into next year and in the i guess the the near future uh stay tuned i do have an interview with new purdue basketball men's basketball uh preferred walk on jared wolbrun who kind of broke down how this all came together if those of you don't know he's a was a division three player at cal lutheran last year but he's uh coming into purdue and uh kind of interesting story how that got hooked up and uh we'll just be talking about some other uh big 10 things but like i said first of all just sort of looking back uh, i think if, if you go back last year around this time we were talking about how it was a a, a real move forward year for purdue to you know get football back to a bowl game to have the sustained sex success in basketball start to see some of uh you know the, the kind of the breakthrough that they had in baseball um you were seeing real progress in whole as at a, as an athletic department and kind of the natural question to ask is do you still feel like that momentum is moving forward um and well i, I don't know if i'd call it mom- momentum uh because if you if you compare the springs from this year to last year's this year's spring wasn't as um, didn't have the excitement yeah, that yeah. last year's spring did because that was centered around what baseball did and um, track was still um, was considered maybe an outside chance to to win a, a team title on the on the women's side. Yeah, uh, but then the, you know they had a changeover in coaches, uh, but they've still maintained a pretty high level uh, with some of their performances uh, throughout. Uh, Throughout the year, the men were right there for the uh, the Big Ten championship. Um, earlier this spring, they had a chance to to win that, but uh, fell a little bit short. But uh, you know, I think this when you compare the springs, you don't you're not you don't have that feel good of what baseball was doing last year and um, the way they you know the way they finished their season um, and then getting into the uh, the NCAA tournament the way they did and uh, so. Maybe uh, momentum isn't the right word, but there, I, I still think there's an uptick with Purdue athletics, especially when you start looking at football and men's basketball, which is what most people look at. You know, I I think those those pro, two programs are can continue to to move forward. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how much I think to use the word momentum. I don't know how much it it relies on any one season or group of sports. I think if you take the whole the year as a whole. You've still got you know football with a really dynamic player in Rondell Moore that kind of took that excitement that the whole program was feeling after the first year under Brom and bumped it up a notch, and then retaining Brom after you know holding off the the Wolves from Louisville. <laughs> I guess they're Cardinals, but the proverbial Wolves from Louisville. Um, what basketball did, you know, getting to the cusp of you know, five point seven seconds mm-hmm. away from a a a Final Four berth. And, and all the success that went along with that. Um, and I think also just some of the things you're seeing 
from the continued commitment of the athletic department, whether that is in what they're paying Brom and Painter, the, the money that they're putting into facilities, the infrastructure that they're building in terms of people as much as in terms of physical structures. All of that still, to me, was a continuation of what was building the year before. Now, I think what's interesting now is as you look at it, it's something that has to be maintained. It isn't just going to keep rolling downhill on its own. And, you know, where is Mike Bobinski and, and, and to a great, to, to, to an extent, you know, the, the board of trustees and, and Mitch Daniels, but mostly I think it falls under the Mike Bobinski's purview. You know, where are you raising standards? Where are you holding people accountable? And in terms of the success on the field to take some of what's happening in football and basketball you know, the whole point of that is to financially, at least in some part, benefit the whole athletic program when we start to see maybe some breakthroughs in some of these other sports. Yeah, and I don't think any athletic department is really say, okay, we're satisfied. I mean, there's always going to be, well, you have to do better. You know, not all of Purdue's 18 sports, I believe that's what it is, is going to be at a – NCAA championship level every every year, so there's always Correct. something. There's yeah. always something to work on. There's always a sport that needs attention, but I think the whole point of when Bobinski came and then um, started hiring the people that he hired and changed probably the commitment level on some of these sports. You got to get football in a better place, which they have, but it's not at the place. I mean, they're only thirteen and thirteen the last two years, which you know. Purdue standards is okay, but yeah. I think he sees a higher higher uh, plateau for them. And the you know bas- men's basketball is, has been and will be in an excellent place right now, but they still have work to do from a national perspective of getting to that to getting that Final Four. Uh, so you get those programs at a point where they're not operating; they don't need the attention because they always need something. But their success then does then should trickle through trickle down to other places. And then I think, you know, Bobinski has been here long enough now that he can really maybe take a step back and maybe look at some of the other sports and where, where some improvements need to be made. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think they're, they're always kind of, you know, we're, 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 we're happy, but we're not satisfied type of situation when you look at the performances of all the sports. Um, but there's always just, there's always seems to be something to do with the athletic department at Purdue. Like, you know, coming up, they're going to start raising money to remodel, redo Ross aid. You know, they don't have a concrete plan yet, but they, you know, that process is going to start probably in August where they're start reaching out and asking people to, to help fund this thing. They'll have some new pieces to Ross aid this year with uh, the monster video board in the North mm-hmm. end zone and uh, some other things. Uh, and then, over the next, you know, two or three, four years, you know, that whole plan will come to fruition. And where does that take the athletic department at that point? So, you know, there's some short-term things I got to take care of, but also some long-term things there. But, I, you know, I think football's in a, in a really good place. Recruiting is in, um, uh, you know, the freshman just arrived Sunday, all, the whole class, the top 25 class is in place along with the veterans. So, Summer conditioning is starting. Summer school is starting. Uh, so I think you know football's in a in a in a in a good place right now. You know men's basketball obviously is in a is in a, a a really good place. But I don't see 
Um, I, I don't see them like taking steps back, even though they lost some key players. Um, but it just seems like Painter over these last several years knows the type of player he wants, and he go he just he goes and gets yes. them. <laughs> he doesn't get everybody, and that's even happening already with what they've done recruiting wise yeah. for twenty twenty. They went out. I mean, they've two thirds of what'll probably only be a three man class is locked in with guys that they really early on said right. we want you and and that paid off with those guys so yeah that, that that's definitely already happening there and i think in those marquee sports there's reason for real optimism for the next five ten years really to there could be a, a could be early on sort of in a sustained period of success i i, I think we're going to reach a point and we're probably already there where you're going to get football and you're going to get men's basketball operating at the same level mm-hmm. as far as success goes and you know each sport is judged a little bit differently just because they're not the same and they have different postseasons how you measure things but you know you have to go back probably to the late 90s the early 2000s I say, like when was where the last time you had football and you had men's basketball competing like basketball is making an elite eight run and or you know just winning big 10 championships or in contention right. for big 10 championships and the football program was the same way where they were going to they were in contention and if they didn't win the Big Ten, they were going to New Year's Day bowl game. Yeah. So I think we're we're moving we're moving in that direction and I think it'll happen uh soon. Uh and you know, even back then, the late nineties, early two thousand, you had women's basketball that was winning a national championship and going to a final four. So you had you had more than football in men's basketball kind of push and produce visibility out there uh, the way that the way that has. And I, you know, I think um, if you, you know, if you can get baseball out of this, you know, the year that they had and let some of the recruiting start to kick in for him and that program, uh, you know, Shondell's volleyball program always seems to be in the top 25. They play in the toughest conference in America, but (laughs) well, that's actually something I was going to bring up was uh, you, you started to hint at it, but just kind of when Mike Bominski was hired here, one of the things he brought up was the athletic program is already doing some good things. What it hasn't necessarily had is some of those national capture your attention moments. And and it, it's tough in some of these other non-revenue sports to use that term. I guess volleyball actually doesn't even count as non-revenue, but yeah, they're the be- it's the best volley- it's the best conference in the country. You know, was it three of the four last year in the final four were big 10 schools or at least two. There was a, there was mm-hmm. a, yeah. I mean, so it, it's really tough to, to, to break through in volleyball and, and Dave Shondell's actually done a very good job there. I think by all accounts, um, and Tony Ursland in wrestling, another really, really, really strong comp, probably the best conference in the country or one of the top couple, um, you know, Penn state, Ohio state, Iowa, those are the you know fantastic programs year in and year out. So another one where it can be sometimes tough to have, and, and I think Purdue's been very competitive in those sports. Wrestling had a really strong year, um, and, but but more so than that, the, you're, you're now you're getting your marquee sports are having those moments too. Whether that's Rondell Moore in football, you know, and all of a sudden people are talking about him. People outside of West Lafayette, people nationally see this guy as like, okay, well, if he's not a Heisman Trophy candidate this year, then probably next year. Like he's on that short list already in people's minds of of the great dynamic football players that are playing right now. You know, in basketball, the whole nation tuned in and watched that great game that Ryan Klein and, and Purdue had against Tennessee, the great game that Carson Edwards had against Virginia, the 
you know, it, 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 it goes down in Purdue memory as a disappointing game and a, and a near miss. But just in the national, if you don't have a rooting interest in that game, all you saw that night was a phenomenal basketball game with a lot of drama. And you saw Purdue, you know, Virginia being, you know, a number one seed again and a team that had kind of already maybe broken through in terms of being not a blue blood, but sort of right in that next group just because of how consistently they were in competing for one seeds and being at the top of the ACC and Purdue still maybe in the national tension being a little bit on the outside of that, despite the success they had and they go toe to toe with them. And I think that really helps the esteem of the whole athletic department when you start to see them kind of grab those moments. And I think the question is, do you have to, does Purdue ultimately have to make a final four or it, it, it does still seem as much success as that is as, as much as they accomplished that, there is still that that next thing they're grasping for, whether that is getting into a get you know winning the West and getting into the Big Ten championship game of football, or finally breaking through and finding a way to get into that Final Four in basketball seems like an opportunity that still just hasn't been grasped yet. No, yeah, from a championship level, no, I don't think they've been grasped from a when you look at national championship type of thing. Big Ten, obviously, the men's basketball program has done that. But, you know, Purdue did have a breakthrough moment with the Ohio State game in football yes. nationally. It didn't it didn't win a championship. It didn't lead to a championship. But I just think that moment in general, you know, kind of pushed Purdue up. Now, I think you do have to win championships. And for football, that's winning the West. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a clear it's a clear definition of what you need to do. And, and, and basketball is doing that. They're winning their Big Ten regular season title tournament. Yeah, well, Big Ten yeah, tournament. They, you know, it's I think we saw four days. Year how four days of fun matters. and sports riders running up big bills for <laughs> whatever luxurious city they're in. But the fact that they were, you know, they were, you know, five point seven seconds away uh, in beating Virginia and getting to that promised land of the Final Four. Um, but you just you, you see so many things happening that you just have this gut feeling that it is going to happen. You know, the question is, who gets there first? Does football win the West before the men's basketball team gets to the Final Four? It's not a race. It's not a competition. Ideally, Bobinski would like for it to happen in the same year. And it might. It, yeah. You know, it just might. But um, I think those are the two things that will that will push Purdue even higher. Um, and, you know, the Big Ten West, you know, will get knocked a little bit. But it's it's a, it's an extremely competitive division at its own level no one's saying a national champion is going to come out of the west but you don't have to be you just have to get in a you have to win the west and then you have to get in a you're in a one game playoff to to potentially go to the rose bowl or some other bowl where you're on a bigger stage than you ever have been in the last two decades and you know and men's basketball is gonna you know they're gonna get there i just think they are when i just you know you know, people probably shaking their heads, walking out of the Yum Center last year, thinking, "Well, it'll never happen." But um, I, I don't, and I don't think you'll have the gap of elite eights that you had from Albuquerque to to Louisville. No, I, I think no, no, I think there's. I mean, they probably thought that in two thousand two, uh, two thousand as well, I should say. But um, no, I, I think there's every reason to believe that, that that the next that that breakthrough is. You know, I talked to Robbie Hummel on this podcast about that a couple weeks ago. Like, do you, when you watch that transpire, do you feel more discouraged that it maybe it that they're snake bit and it's just never going to happen, or do you start to see sometimes you got to get damn lucky to have some of these runs? Sometimes you can argue that Virginia got 
they were, you can say lucky, you can say fortunate, whatever. But that sequence that played out the end of that game, as we talked about, played out in a very Purdue positive way up until the time the ball goes into the basket. So, well, um, and then Virginia had a string of games where yeah. it needed to do that, and sometimes you're just put in that position right. where Kyle Guy has to hit a shot from the corner at the Final Four to even keep him in a game. Right. So it's these things do have to line up. Um, but get free throws yes. after being fouled on that <laughs> shot. Yeah. So no, you're right. It's 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 people. It, you know. As Clint Eastwood said in Unforgiven, deserves got nothing to do with it. It's not. Yeah. It's not that Purdue is due to have these things happen, but I think they're more importantly they're putting themselves in a position. You know, I'm I, I, um, a big baseball fan. In 2006, the Cardinals um, went into the postseason with a, a terrible record, like 83 and 78 or something like that. And at a, after a long, but but and and they end up winning a World Series. And really, it's more about just getting there as often as you can. Because sometimes things go your way and sometimes they don't, and that year it just happened to. And I hate uh, the word deserve. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a bad word. I think the better word is earn. You earn, yeah. you earn stuff. You don't deserve. I mean, yes, people deserve things, but in, in sports, to me, you earn. You earn the right. Right. Purdue hasn't earned the right yet to get to the final four because they haven't done it. But the things that they're doing will earn them a, a spot coming up at some point, just because that's the direction of the program is still you know, is still moving up. I mean, there's painter just didn't say, well, well, we had our chance. I'm just going to kick back and collect my 3 million and right. right out the storm here. No, he was probably the next day or at least two days later was right. <laughs> figuring out what's, what's going to happen the next year. And, right. uh, and I think these guys just keep working and working and working uh, and, you know, to get, get to the, where, where they want to be. And, and the other thing is, especially with, um, with basketball recruiting and football recruiting, sometimes you're so far along that whatever success you just had, I'm sure it didn't hurt their case with Jaden Ivey and Ethan Morton, the two guys you've committed so far. But it's the, the payoff for that success is usually really a year or two down the line. Those guys who were who hadn't really necessarily built a big relationship with new people taking notice of you or looking at you closer than they would have otherwise, and that can pay off maybe in the next class. Yeah, well, you have no idea who in the 2022 class now is looking at Purdue as, you know, maybe an option for them. Right. And I've talked to a couple of football recruits, and they're like, yeah, I watched the Ohio State game. It's like, yeah, well, Purdue's got something going on here. Right. And, you know. Hopefully they didn't watch the Auburn game. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, I got something going on here, you know. Kid from Chicago, it's like, well, that's not very far away. Maybe, maybe Purdue will recruit me, or you know, how do I get involved in something like that? That looked like a lot of fun. Maybe, and you know, he just finished finished an official visit here yeah. this weekend. So where that where where that leads, we have no idea. But just getting up there, and you don't know the, uh, you know, the, you can't put a dollar figure. Or any other figure on what that Ohio State game meant to the football program, but meant to the athletic department and meant to the university in, in general. I mean, it was just such a captivating moment that Purdue was in this was on the stage that they really had never been on, at least in the last few decades. And the end result will will come down the line, similar to you know what. What will what will be the direct impact of Purdue being in the lead eight this past year? He said probably didn't play a role 
in the two commitments they got probably didn't hurt, but it probably right. didn't, they'd already been on them. But as you, as you go farther down in your classes, do that, does that open some more doors for, for, for painter and his staff? You mentioned women's basketball earlier in sort of, um, in correlation with just the esteem or the, the branding of the, of the athletic department at large and, and what role that was maybe playing at one point. And I'm curious just your thoughts because I don't know if I get a good sense from how the fan base feels about this, and maybe they don't fully know um, how much you know. It seems like there is still a, a high expectation for women's basketball based on that success. Yet, what impact it really has, as far as does it deserve to be I, not on that the, the the same level as men's basketball and football in terms of a priority and expectations maybe and things like that, but how high does it deserve to be placed in terms of a priority and, and, and how badly do they need maybe some more consistency, some more winning from that program? Well, I think they need it and they want it. Um, and I think it would, it, you know, back in the day it was probably, it was number three. Um, so, I mean, depending on what sport you favor, it's either volleyball or women's basketball that would be come right after the, the two, uh, football and men's basketball, uh, but you know that's any, not just a Purdue, by the way. I think nationally, you're starting to see volleyball take some. Volleyball of has taken some of the slice out of women's basketball from a fan interest standpoint, just right. because it's a the way the game is played. It's more up tempo. Obviously, you have a bigger student following in volleyball than you do women's basketball. Yeah. And I, that's not just Purdue. That's it is a demographic the, difference. Right. But I also think it's not necessarily. I don't, I don't want to insinuate that it's people have a choice between one or the other and they're deciding to pick volleyball. I think you're also just seeing the volleyball audience on its own kind of grow. And to be, this is a completely different topic, but I think volleyball should move to the spring. That would be interesting. And yeah. get away from football. And, that could help it a lot, yeah. And get in a, uh, get in a position where you look what uh, baseball has done and the amount of times it, it's on TV. Mm-hmm. You can't get rained out in volleyball. but just the growth of that sport and the the opportunity for better tv windows and the opportunity to have your program exposed a lot more in the spring than you do in the fall uh, is something i i i I really think that they should should consider and again that's a that's a topic that we'll probably never address but i want to throw that out there just as far as a podcast of like what if we could be commissioner of of well, of there's some talk of sports. There, there, there has been some talk of making women's basketball one semester sport, hmm. which would start at the end of the first semester in late December, and then carry over into the the, the spring semester, and then hmm. you would be pushing back your your national championship a couple weeks. Um, so you're not going head to head with men with your. Partner. Well, you're 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 going head to head in some areas, but not not full head to head. But anyway, volleyball has grown. But back to your question, I think women's basketball is important because of the TV exposure it gets. It can put your athletic department and your university on a different level. Um, you know, we've seen what it does, you know, what UConn has done with that and where their program is at in Tennessee and a lot of other programs. And Purdue used to be in that mix where it would never go a year without being on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, now you have the BTN and they're always on, you know, they're always on that. But uh, they're no longer a national player they're no longer relevant in the national picture when it comes to the top 25 
uh, even the Big Ten race. So they, they have taken a dip from that standpoint. Uh, and I think, you know, they, they want that program to get back up to at least competing for Big Ten championships and then making the NCAA tournament on an, on an every-year basis, which it should be. I think um, that, that should be the, the minimum of what this program does. And I, I, I do still think, even though the fan base is older, um, the, there's still a lot of interest um, in what this women's basketball program does. These are people that maybe don't necessarily go to games, but will watch. And if a women's basketball program is doing well, or any Purdue program outside of football, men's basketball, they they start to follow it just a little bit more. And when Purdue women's basketball was in its heyday of making the tournament every year, going deep in the tournament and getting to Final Fours, you had a lot of Purdue fans that were just that were interested, that were engaged, understood what was going on. And I, I still think if the program would ever get back to that, I think you would bring some some of that back. Um, so it, it's it's important. I mean, I think Sharon Versa has been told it's important. You know, Mike, Mike Wabinski has said it publicly that you know, it's it's a performance-based business and it's time for the, the program to, to, to step up. He said that publicly to Mike Carmen. by the way. I'll try <laughs> to remember to put that, that piece in our uh, show notes. But um, it, this seems to me to be kind of an interesting, I mean, a test case is probably not the right word, but, you know, Mike Babinski was hired first and foremost to fix football. And that seems to be, I think you could almost say that happened. I mean, he made the decision on Daryl Hazel. He made the decision to hire Jeff Brom. He's done what's necessary to retain Jeff Brom, again, with the the full administration support behind him. And now I think is interesting to see kind of the attention gets to sort of turn a little bit because I think that is sort of taking care of itself a little bit under football. Basketball, obviously, men's basketball clearly in good hands. Now how does he address some of these other sports? You know, what is the standard for success in some of these other sports? You know, he said it early on, I think it is introductory press conference about how, you know, he, he wants his standard is going to be, he's going to, you're going to call a coach in, you're going to say, what do you need to have to go compete for a national championship? Not that I'm expecting you to win one every year, or maybe even ever win one because he's been doing this long enough that he knows how rare those opportunities are in really every sport. But that's the standard that's been set. You know, tell me what we have to do to get to that level. And if they're falling short of even competing at the top of the Big Ten over a sustained period of time, that tells me we're getting into it an area. He hasn't had, had any dismissals since Hazel, I don't believe, in, in the couple of years he's been here. So you're getting into a situation where there probably will start to be some coach turnover, I would think, in the next couple of years if a program is perceived to be underachieving. Yeah, he'll be starting his in September. Is it will be his fourth? He was hired in sixteen, right? After the yes, he was hired after that season had started. That ultimately ended with Hazel's. But I think his first day was September first, yeah, something 16, like that. Yes, which yes. coincide with the start of the football season. Yes, so he's had sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Now this will be the fourth football season. Yeah, fourth fall. Yeah, so he he has a clear picture of the landscape here and what. What needs to be done? So yeah, if if he I think if he feels like there are programs that are not where they should be, then you potentially will see maybe some changes or changes made to help that program you know move a little bit forward. But until you know football can consistently produce the revenue 
Um, it needs to help its own sport and then trickle down to other sports. I, I think you you still you still ride with a little bit of caution um, because you, what a lot of people don't think about is, yes, let's get rid of this coach. Well, but how much does it cost to get rid of this coach? Yes. What's the cost of bringing in a new coach and a new staff? Right. What are they going to need? So you're going to pay more regardless if it's tennis, women's basketball, whatever. I mean, you just you just are. You just it's, that's the way the marketplace works. And um, so, but there are, you know there are obviously some things to watch moving forward how he handles that. But his his attention is always going to be on football and making sure that they are maximizing everything out of that program. And the same with men's basketball. What else can you do to? from a revenue standpoint, to get more out of that. I mean, you're not adding seats to Mackey. No. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, in a way, they're not going to add seats to ross Stadium either when they do this renovation. Um, so there's got to be some, you know, there's other financial impact. I mean, they're paying a lot of money for guarantee games coming up. Um, they're going to have six home games for, I think, four years in the early 2000s. You know, you're taking, you know, a couple million, you're leaving a couple million on the table by not having another home game. Uh, so there's some financial things that are that are going to maybe slow them down just a little bit, but somewhere somewhere they have to make it up. And I think there's enough smart people over there to to get it done. But the number one thing is you you got to keep winning and you got to keep right. selling out that place every every game that you can. Along those lines, I don't remember the last time when you reported on this, so I'm not trying to step on your toes, but I just had a, a casual conversation. Uh, today where I was told that Purdue has surpassed last year's Purdue football has surpassed last year's season ticket sales and it's mm. their most since 2013. Yeah. So sounds right. I think they were headed in that direction. Yeah. Uh, so they, um, yeah, I mean, they, they need a strong season ticket base. They need, they, they, in, in essence for financially, they need their stadium sold out every game. And that, that I'm not going to say that would be enough, but it's a it's a good starting point for them if they can if they can sell it out every game. And you're you're looking at fifty fifty seven thousand or so, uh, even though they mysteriously announced sixty thousand when it's a sellout. It's like okay, where are the other uh, three thousand people? Where are they <laughs> yeah. sitting at? I yeah. miss those. Yeah. You know, I think that's, they have strong student support, and they're always going to let students in the game. Um, and, you know they pay for their tickets, but they're they're. I don't think they're going to cut students off. Uh, but they need the the general public to really jump in and and support. And there's, there's a lot of reasons to do that right now. But they, um, you know, that does that doesn't surprise me that they're they're moving forward in that direction. Um, one thing we wanted to address real quick is the big since the last time you and I talked on the podcast, the Big Ten has hired a new commissioner um, named Kevin Warren. He was formerly an executive with the uh, Minnesota Vikings and um, has had some other NFL jobs, um, but is now kind of coming to bringing an outsider's perspective to the big 10 commissionership. I had some, some blowback on Twitter from a couple of fans who I think really thought that the big 10 should be hiring someone who was a big 10 alum. Uh, I really think there's a big, there's a benefit to going and getting someone from outside, not just outside the big 10, but outside college athletics, I think you know there sometimes there tends to be groupthink. Sometimes there tends to be um, you know you don't want to shake things up, and I think you always need to go get kind of that outside opinion to 
to bring a new perspective to things. And I'm, I'm intrigued by his professional background and his personal background too and, and what that can mean to where the Big Ten goes next. Jim Delaney did not work in the Big Ten before he became the Big Ten commissioner. Correct, right. <laughs> So just just FYI. Well, by the way, if, if you're a Michigan fan and you think that um, that the Big Ten needs to hire a Big Ten alum to run the Big Ten, uh, I want you to imagine for a moment, just close your eyes and imagine for a moment that they hire uh, Jim Tressel, probably not a good example, or Thad Mata, hire, hire someone that you hate from Ohio State to be the Big Ten commissioner. Now tell me how much you want a Big Ten alum to be the Big Ten commissioner. And what would the reception have been for Jim Phillips? Right. The Northwestern AD. Right. You know, really a school you you don't get mad at because it's just Northwestern. Maybe, but and I... He, also, and he'd be a great candidate and he'd be a great commissioner. But I agree with you that they're bringing... I mean, I, you know, I think the college uh, environment is moving closer to the pro environment. Yes. So you need, you know, not that I'm advocating you should just write checks to players, but... You know those those two organizations are even closer today than they were yesterday or a week ago. So to have somebody that has been involved in the the pro sports side of it understands the pitfalls, understands the benefits, can bring a different perspective to a lot of the issues that continue to come up in college athletics. I think is a is a positive. I, you know the way of doing business uh, like it has been is you know is just. It just can't happen, and you have to evolve, and you have to change. And you know the big issues of how do you, how do you compensate players for their likeness, and how do you how do you deal with the transfer situation? And there's a lot of other issues that that he's going to have to lead the charge on. And he'll have plenty of help at the Big Ten office and throughout the conference to help him formulate his opinion and his decisions. But when the Big Ten takes a stance on something, it's usually in a leadership position that other conferences react to that either they hate the idea or they they fall they fall in line with it yeah and he's going to have to create um you're you're a consensus yeah you're yeah he's going to have and he's been in a position to make these kind of decisions just not these direct decisions that he's you know these issues that he's going to have to deal with and i know he he was asked those questions at his press conference and he i thought he handled it right it's like Yes, there'll be a time and place to discuss that, and now it's not that time and place. Right. And as he learns more about them and has a deeper understanding of the thoughts of his bosses, the presidents, uh, of wh- where the Big Ten should come out on that, I, I, w- I would anticipate that happening. I don't know if it'll happen later this year or when he really takes over after January 1st, where we'll, we'll see where he directly you know stands on some of these things. Yeah, and I wouldn't expect him on the day he's being announced to necessarily have an, a, a strong opinion on um, um, the amateurism question or um, even something like conference expansion. I don't. I don't need to. The day he's introduced, I don't need to know the answer to that. And if he actually does have a strong opinion, I actually would respect it more if he would kind of sit on it and say, "Well, <laughs> even if I think what I do today, I need to go talk to the full range of people and and." come up with a with a, a more um, well-rounded opinion on that. The two areas that I think could potentially affect Purdue the most are um, the conference expansion I just mentioned, and but really in conjunction with that is the 
the TV contracts that'll come up. And he, you know, his background in the NFL and that level, you know, he's 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 dealt with this sort of thing or at least been around it before the idea of media rights and things like that. And that's going to be a really we've already seen the payoff for Purdue in terms of facilities, in terms of how much they can pay Jeff Brom. A lot of that is directly related because they haven't been selling out their own stadium for a while. A lot of that is directly related to how they utilize their Big Ten network revenue. And the, that's going to be an important next step um, for this conference that I uh, won't even say it trickles down to a place like Purdue. It's kind of an avalanche that just falls right in their bank account. And um, when you're talking about what we were talking about before, being nationally competitive, a place like Purdue, it, it's really crucial. They just don't generate their own revenue the way a Michigan or Ohio State will from something like football. And even as they grow in success, they're still going to rely on that other money more. And he's going to be an important component of I think I think they'll be fine. By the way, I think they're probably going to rake in a pretty good amount of money. But that, that's going to be if you're if you're a Purdue guy, if you're a Purdue backer, and you're watching things develop, that's going to be a really important thing. That's still a few years down the road, but those negotiations are going to pick up. Yeah, I think they'll be fine because you know, I think first of all, the ads and the presidents are not going to talk are, are not going to take less than what they're making now. No. <laughs> so so when you get to the new. TV contract or the new media contract probably is a better way of putting it because we don't know what form. But very likely it'll be multi-platform. It's not going to be just TV. I mean, I think Fox is going to be a long-term partner of the Big Ten, and but I was you know just looking at it from an outsider and seeing how Jim Delaney and the president of Fox interacted at Big Ten Media Day. Right. You know, this whole thing is about relationships. Yeah. It's about forming good relationships and Fox has formed a solid relationship with Jim Delaney and the Big Ten. Can they keep that relationship with Kevin Warren, which, you know, as Jim Delaney introduces the president of Fox and whoever else, I think they'll be fine uh, because live sporting events still sell. Live sporting events are still something people want to watch, and the Big Ten is there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's there. It's right there at the top, toe-for-toe toe with the SEC, Um and the only thing, the only thing that can happen is all of a sudden the Big Ten get greedy, and not that they have to accept every offer, the right. whatever offers out there, but you can't come across. I never thought, you know, maybe it's just me. I never thought the Big Ten was really greedy. They just have a good product that the TV partners want to broadcast. Yeah, and they've they've maximized that over years, and then Delaney. When he didn't feel like he was getting the best offer, he created the Big Ten Network, and he he found a way to do that. All those things are in place for Kevin Warren. He just can't screw it up yeah. and get and continue to push the Big Ten forward because, you know, regardless, schools have made twenty year plans when it comes to facilities and things like that. I mean, Purdue has debt; it has to pay down from the football performance complex to Mackey Arena to to Ross Aid from you know two decades ago. Yeah to what's going to happen with future Ross aid and the baseball field and the softball field and on and on. They have those facilities that they're still paying for. So they need that money uh, because, uh, you know, as we've mentioned, the stadium size for football is not that great, but you know, his challenge is just fostering those relationships, making sure that, you know, everything's good with that. And then also exploring new ways from a, a media platform to, to find some revenue somewhere else other than the TV and uh, more streaming or whatever it right. is. 
So I'm really curious how the new media package, you know, I think it'll be up in four years. They signed a shorter term one uh, a couple years ago. But but with that is also the, the chance for expansion coming up. I, I, I firmly believe there'll be another round, not not a major round, because there's really not much more major things that can happen. Yeah. But I, I think when we get to the middle middle years of next decade when a lot of these TV contracts are up um, and the college football playoff contract is up, that I think we'll, we'll see some movement. You know, the Pac-12 is right now trying to sell, like, shares of the Pac-12 to people or to, to organizations like $750 bucks because, you know, their schools are, are, are woefully behind other Power 5 schools. And, you know, through some of their, their distribution deals, which – you know, I still haven't watched the Pac-12 network, and uh, I, I have Directv, and they're not on Directv. I think local locally it's on. Yeah, I think, I think it's locally it is, here. It is, but I had a I had a roommate at one point who was a big Oregon and Oregon State baseball fan, so I saw some Pac-12 network back in the day for that. But it's, I've never watched it because it's not on my satellite dish. Yeah, not on the leading satellite dish <laughs> in the country. So, I mean, how much lost revenue has there been for the Pac-12 there? Right. So, they're, they're, to me, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are kind of on a little bit of shaky ground here uh, as, you, as you get into next decade. And what happens with all those pieces, I, I still think is something to watch. You know, everybody's going to fight for survival. and uh, But when they know the ship is sinking, they're going to latch on to <laughs> they're going to yeah. latch on to somebody. I would, uh, for those of you who are frustrated by... Uh, the fact that Big Ten Network streams early season men's basketball games, for instance, I think you better um, warm to the idea of having to access some other streaming services in the future to be able to get basketball or football games. Because I think, you know, we've already seen Hulu is kind of trying to make uh, more inroads into showing live sports. There's some other networks, and there could be one that doesn't barely even exist now that two or three years from now is trying to be a player in being in getting live stuff out there. We've seen it in the NFL with putting games on Twitter. Um, so it's it's probably coming to college sports at some point too. So uh, sorry, folks, uh, be ready. Don't don't tweet at me about it because I can't do anything <laughs> about it. But, um, but yeah, th- those those things are going to continue to pop up, and a lot of it is just the games your opponents. You know, they don't. You know, when uh, you know, I think fo- all football games are going to be on like regular TV. I don't think we'll. Uh, we'll see at least Big Ten. I don't think we'll see a change in that in the immediate future. But basketball games, when you're playing that guaranteed game in um, you know early November, that you're just trying to fill your schedule out. You know, it's going to be on ESPN three or BTN plus, right? Just because they can and they will. And but you, that's something that you have to get used to. It just if you're not used to it yet. Get used it's not to going it. away. No, it, no and in fact, it's only going to grow. I think as <laughs> as time goes on. Um, we've gotten pretty late, but I want to kick over to my interview with Jared Wolbrin. Uh, just a note: um, as we were, ta- I recorded this with him last week. So when we're talking about dates like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that was the days that have just passed, and then Monday is today that um, we're recording this. But it was the day that, uh, or actually Sunday was the day the team was due to show up on campus, and then today was the day that they were supposed to start class and they've got camps that they're running over there. In fact, I ran into Caleb Swanigan was over there. Um, so this is always a time of the year where a lot of, um, he's got a couple years left. He could play, he right? 
he does. He, oh. I think he does have two years of eligibility <laughs> left. We have to go talk to Kevin Warren about getting the NCAA to change its rules. Uh, Purdue could probably use some help at the four this year if, if he wants to, to step back up. But he'd have to take a pay cut, um, from what I'm told. But um, anyway, um, <laughs> Jared Wolbrin, uh joining the Boilers Extra podcast right now. We're joined today on Boilers Extra by Jared Wolbron. He is the latest uh, preferred walk-on for the Purdue men's basketball team, joining uh, this fall, or I guess here just a few days, uh, on his way out from uh, California, where he uh, has been playing at Cal Lutheran, a Division Three program there. And uh, he's joining us today kind of just to, to tell us how all this came together. So, uh, Jared, thanks for joining us. Um, and, and I guess that's where... If you could start there, how how did this all come together that um, you are arriving to, to join the Purdue basketball program? Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, sure. So after my first year at Cal Lutheran, my first basketball season ended, uh, I talked to my parents and decided that I really didn't enjoy my experience and was looking to transfer somewhere else and keep playing. Um, I really wanted to stay with, stay with basketball and, and see where it could take me. Um, I was, I think I was to the point where I was ready to be a part of a team, but not play a huge role like I did this past year and just kind of be a great teammate and get the experience that I wanted. And that was at a division one school. So being a walk on was what I decided I wanted to do. And, um, through some contacts from my dad, we ended up talking to, or he ended up talking to coach painter and they said they had an interest and it just kind of snowballed from there. And then, I uh, got admitted to school late in May, and that was when I officially made the decision to go there. So that's an important part of this story that we should go back and catch people up on. Jeff Wolbrun, your father, is the associate uh, head coach at Stanford. He's had stops before that at Illinois State, uh, Cal, Virginia Tech. Um, I guess, how did his connections sort of help this happen? Do you know if he... Did he know uh, Matt Painter or anybody else on the Purdue staff? Because uh, usually there's some uh, – th- those guys tend to have contacts across the country, um, especially if they've been doing it as long as, as both your dad and Matt Painter and, and the other guys on the staff have been doing it. Yeah, my dad's been around the game, I want to say, 30, 35 years, maybe even more. Uh, so he's had a lot of – he's run into a lot of people, knows a lot of people within the game. Uh, the college basketball kind of family is really big, and – He's always – he prides himself on relationships with other coaches and people. So he knew Coach Painter. He didn't know him that well, but he knew of him, and Coach Painter knew of my dad. And they ended up sitting next to each other in an AAU tournament, and they talked there, and my dad expressed to him my situation of being a Division three player and wanting to go play a Division one basketball as a walk-on. And it just so happened that they were in need of a walk-on, and it was kind of late in the game. and uh, told him he was interested, so it kind of went from there. And I talked with Coach Painter once I received my release from Cal Lutheran a few times and uh, went into late April, and they offered me a preferred walk-on position. Did you go into this process thinking, I hope that I can be a, a Division One, especially Power 5 walk-on? Was that the – when you started this, did you think that's what I'm going to shoot for first, or was it – just a coincidence that it happened to lead you there. I think that was always the dream, and it's always been a dream of mine to play for a big-time uh, college basketball school. Um, yeah, I didn't originally think Purdue was an option or 
even, I mean, it wasn't even a thought in my head, but originally my dad had sent me a list of schools that he knew people well enough to call and ask them if they needed to walk on and about me. And uh, Purdue actually was on that list at the time. I kind of thought my dad might be shooting a little, a little too high, but it just kind of ended up where they were in need of a walk-on and I was looking for a place and after a little bit of time it ended up working out perfectly. So I'm really happy that he they were on the list and it ended up working out. How familiar have you been with Purdue and their style of play? I assume maybe you would have seen them this past season just because they got so far in the tournament and had some big moments late in the NCAA tournament, but I'm just curious, being in I know you've moved all over the country, and you're actually originally a, a Midwestern guy from uh, mm-hmm. Bloomington, not far from where I grew up, really. But um, where, how, just how much do you even know about Purdue, or did you know before this whole process started? Um, well, the one big thing I knew was uh, that Coach Painter had a great culture within the program, and that was a huge thing for me. I am very big on uh, having a good culture in a program and uh, everyone being held accountable for their actions and just kind of being good people. And I knew from the beginning that Coach Painter ran his program like that, so I always had an interest. I did watch them in the tournament. I mean, everyone watched them. Carson Edwards was dropping 40 a game, and they were playing high-intensity ball games. So I watched them, uh, I mean, basically for the whole year. I'm a college hoops junkie, so mm. all year I'm watching games, and it just happened. I watched a lot of Purdue games. But I, w- I always enjoyed how hard they played. And even, I mean, Grady Eifert was a walk-on for them, and he ended up starting this entire year. So, I I mean, I appreciated what they did. And like I said, I never really thought I would end up at a school as, uh, as perfect for me as Purdue would be, but kind of everything happens for a reason. So I'm a bit familiar with them. I've still never visited the campus. Uh, I'll be up there on Sunday, and I'll start summer uh, classes and our workouts on Monday. So I'm more than excited to get up there and get to work. Like I said, Cal Lutheran is a Division Three program. Uh, there are some things that Division Three players and Division One walk-ons have in common, such as you're not getting paid at all to uh, to play basketball. Uh, the other thing they don't have in common, though, is you know at at Cal Lutheran, you obviously you played a lot. I I, um, I had your numbers up. I mean, you were you were a significant member of that team um, at Purdue. Very often, you know, Grady Eifert's a good example. He played a lot as a senior, uh, was a huge member of the team, but played some as a junior. And then before that, was really a, a completely a behind-the-scenes guy. So how much have you talked to your dad about what this experience is going to be like as a potentially as a walk-on? And what are you trying to bring to the mix or get out of, get out of this process um, as a walk-on player? Um, well, for me, as a walk-on, I I mainly have to fill my role, and that's to be as much of a leader as I can, but also knowing that I'm not going to be one of the top guys and other guys are much more important than I am. So just filling that role as best as I can. For me, I'm a big hustle guy, diving on the floor for loose balls, taking charges, um, I mean, going 100% in everything I do. So being kind of being a high energy guy along with all of that. And just, I think knowing what my role is, is really important and going in, knowing I'm not going to be playing as much or near as much as I did this past year. And I think there's definitely going to be an adjustment period for me. I mean, most guys who play at a division three or a level or they walk on, they played a lot in high school or wherever they were before being a walk on. And 
I do think there will be an adjustment period, but I'm I'm excited to attack that and do what I can to help the team in any way, shape, or form. I saw on your bio that when you were at Palo Alto High School, you were the all-time leader in charges taken, which, first of all, kudos to Palo Alto High School, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised that that's the kind of school that would have a really good stat department. There's a lot of college programs that don't even track something like that. So as a, as a reporter, I appreciate that. But um, <laughs> where did that come from, that mentality? And uh, is is there a an art slash science to taking charges and, and being that prolific at it? Um, I don't know if there's an art for it exactly. Um, I'm So I'm named after Jared Haas, who's the head men's basketball coach at Stanford. He yeah. played at Cal when my dad coached there. My dad recruited him out of high school from uh, South Lake Tahoe. And my dad coached him one year at Cal, and then Jared transferred from Cal to Kansas to play for Roy Williams. And my dad always said if I had a son, I would love for him to embody the characteristics that Jared Hass has. And so I was named after him. And kind of as I got older, I learned how he played, where he played, his style of play. And he was a hard-nosed hustle guy. There's no other way to put it. I mean, he created the stat floor burns at Kansas for diving on the floor for loose balls, taking charges. And I've taken pride in the fact that I'm named after him, so I want to play as much like him as I can. So that's kind of where that started. And when I went to high school in Alabama for my first two years, my school really uh, – really made clear that taking charges were something we were going to do as a program. And I learned a lot from being there and then taking it to the varsity level in California. It was, for me, it's just kind of um, intuition. When I see someone putting their head down, I know they're not going to, where they're going to go, if they're going to Euro step, things like that. So just positioning myself to really do whatever it takes to help the team. And if I got to sacrifice my body for it, I'm more than happy to do it. Like I said, sometimes there's a lot of sacrifice without a lot of reward when you're a walk-on. At the same time, there are some perks, as, as there are for every Division One player, especially Power Conference, you know, Power Five players. You'll get to go on some, some really fun road trips. There's a lot of, you know, the facilities I imagine are probably going to be a step up. And um, is there something along those lines that you're ex- especially excited about? I know you're looking forward to the competition and, and being part of the team, but um, have you allowed yourself to think about just some of the, the more fun aspects of this that you're really looking forward to? I definitely have. Um, I mean, looking at our schedule for this year, I mean, I, I would say I look at it a little too much, honestly, just being excited for it. But playing Marquette in the Milwaukee Bucks arena in the uh, Gavit tip-off games, we'll play in the Crossroads Classic at uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse at the Pacers arena. We'll play um, – in Florida and Destin for our Thanksgiving tournament. Just those big games. Virginia was just announced today. We'll play them in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And these are going to be high-level games that, like I said, I'm a college hoops junkie. Just I'm going to get courtside seats to all of these games, but I'll, be, I'll have a jersey on. So it'll add, even add to the experience. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of soak everything up and not take anything for granted, and I really cherish the opportunity I was given by Coach Banner. What's the biggest arena you've played in so far? Uh, we played two Division One teams this year in exhibitions. So oh, I right, guess okay. it would be um, UCSB, Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think those are probably – well, in high school we played in back-to-back Final Four, so I played in uh, Santa Clara University's arena twice. 
or I guess three times. So those those few arenas, but those those aren't that big compared to what uh, Mackey will be and uh, all the other Big Ten arenas that we'll play in. So obviously, when when uh, a coach is recruiting a scholarship player, a lot of times uh, it's a very different conversation than when they're trying to recruit a walk on. And from the ones I've talked to in the past, it's almost like hey, here's why you might want to think about not doing this, because it can be a tough process for, for guys. What was that conversation like with Coach Painter? Um, what did you just sort of glean from him at the times you talked to him on the phone before you made this decision? I think he definitely made it clear that there would be a lot of hard work involved with it, and I'm really looking forward to the challenge of that. I love kind of overcoming different obstacles, and there's always going to be bumps in the road, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the games and being able to play in those big arenas and being part of those atmospheres, but there's a lot of hard work that is going to come before that. So he made it clear about what what's going to be put in before kind of reaping the rewards. And, um, I mean, as a walk-on, you you got to know you're going to be putting in all this work to not play, and I'm more than happy to be doing it for the experience that I'm going to get out of it. Uh, lastly, I'm just curious, what's the most important thing you learned about basketball from your dad that you think you can maybe take with you to this experience at Purdue? There's a lot. Uh, he He's taught me a lot uh, about the game in my 19 and a half years. Uh, I, don't know, I think body language is a big thing. Uh, whenever I work out with him, I tend, I tend to show a little emotion if I get frustrated or a little excited, and he always just tells me to be even keel. Don't get too high with the highs and low with the lows. So, just having that even keel mindset throughout the whole game or practice or workout or whatever it is and kind of staying poised is a big thing I think that he's taught me over the years. Well, thanks a lot, Jared Wilburn, for joining us on Boilers Extra. Safe travels to Purdue. You'll be here this weekend. All the players actually are are coming to campus this weekend. The guys I've been talking to with the Indiana All-Stars all week, uh, they're showing up, I think, on Sunday, and, and everything really starts for you guys on Monday. So, uh, best of luck here as, as you join the Purdue program. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That's a wrap on this edition of Boilers Extra. I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier. He was Mike Carmen. We'll keep that Purdue basketball and football coverage coming to you throughout the offseason. I'm at uh, inbairdjc on Twitter. He's at Carmen underscore jc. Definitely, if you can, uh, download and subscribe to this podcast in the various ways that it gets out there via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, a lot of options for you. And, uh, you know, give us ratings, uh, hopefully five-star rating, but not twisting your arm, whatever you feel like we deserve. And uh, but, but more than that, just feedback, you know, uh, reach out to us on Twitter, reach out to us via email. Let us know what you want, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. And uh, we're going to keep refining this as we go into the offseason. So thanks a lot for joining us. We will talk to you again soon.